0: Ismillahi Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah Alameen was salatu a salamu alayh Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala elihi wa sahbihi Ajma'in As salamu alaykum or rahmatsullahi wa barakatu and a very warm welcome to this week's edition of the program. At the time of this program is we ourselves, if we are on a learning path and our young ones, our children will be on this path of having now settled back into school at madrasa or ulum, whatever learning path they or we are on. But it's also a wonderful time for us to really go inward and that is to learn more about the sunnah of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And while we know that each teacher is amazing in his or her own right. The best of all teachers was Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi sallam. And often we wonder, out of curiosity, fascination, and love for him, what was he like, sallallahu alaihi sallam, as a teacher? Today on the program, we're going to learn more about that. And this is part one of the series on Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his teaching methods. You can then join us next week, insha'Allah, for part two of this series as we continue. Joining us for this mini series, we have coach, educator, honourable personality, and student of Deen, mashaAllah tabarakAllah, Muallima Masouda Japia. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome to Radio Islam.
1: Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is always a pleasure joining you, Hafizari Hana. Yeah? Barakallahu uh, feek, barakallahu feek. You have this beautiful gift
0: from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mashallah, tabarakallah, of really helping us to connect to seerah. And I think that is so needed in today's time. Uh, when when we look around at everything that's happening uh, in the world, or how happening in our own lives, in our own world, we often wonder how do we take the seerah and make it come alive for us? In today's time but first we do need to go back to the past to understand more so we're very grateful to have you with us on this journey and I too am curious to learn what do we learn about teaching from Nabi Muhammad who was the ultimate mu'allim? so yeah let's let's get going if, if we start by asking this question, we talk about embodiment uh, and people embody different values and character traits and personalities uh, through their actions, through their behavior. How would you say that Nabi Muhammad embodied the teachings
1: of Islam through his Mubarak actions and behavior? I love this topic, and I'll tell you as a someone who has spent so many countless hours in the classroom, I can I can only but tell you that the example of the Prophet was the living embodiment of all the teachings of Islam as well as the Quran, as mentioned to us in the Hadith by Hazrat Aisha anha, where she describes the character of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and she, she says that his character is is the Quran so if you're taking a look at that what we define as character would be everything that is mirrored within his actions and behavior and the core principles we're taking a look at compassion and justice and humility and patience which is all outlined in the Quran subhanallah so his entire life from your from his personal interactions to even the leadership roles that he had played in, in various instances and leadership not just of the ummah but we're talking about leadership within his home as a father as a husband uh, these were a testament to the ethical and moral values prescribed by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, and if we take an example right for instance he would show immense kindness and forgiveness even to those who opposed him and um, you know the demonstration of that mercy and tolerance in Islam can go without saying. When we look at the Prophet he was everything that we needed to have, and everything that we needed. And up till now, with regards to someone who is, uh, yes, as mentioned, a mercy, rahmatul a mercy unto, unto, unto mankind, but also one who can instruct us on how to share any type of knowledge not necessarily only we're talking about you know um islamic knowledge but all knowledge comes with the way in which he had then transmitted everything. And I also love the fact of reflecting about the, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, although he grew up a very educated man, he couldn't read or write. So that never stopped him from transmitting any type of knowledge that he had, whether it be with regards to when he was younger, with regards to business um, uh, and, and having to be a great businessman, even in that regard. There's so much that we learn from analyzing actions and his interactions, that we can ultimately say that there is the the manner in which he spoke. For example, he spoke so clearly, as well as he never mumbled or fumbled over his words, and he would never rush in speech. So he would speak in, in a slow-paced manner that the Sahaba anhu would say that they could count his words, right? So if you're taking a look in the manner in which he spoke, never raised his voice unnecessarily, um, he would speak very calmly, And this was even before the advent of Islam, even before he became a prophet. So when we're looking at the Prophet ﷺ, it is the entire man, the life that he had lived, alhamdulillah. And this is what makes it so uh, beautiful when we analyze why certain Sahaba had become Muslim in the first place. It it might not have been only with regards to believing in one Allah, but they saw the man who represented Islam they saw the one who was a prophet of allah and if this was who he was then i want to be like him that is why you have these amazing instances where uh you'd have the sahaba come to the prophet sallallahu and because of one action they would have accepted they accepted islam they'd taken their shahada and it would it would baffle my mind um, especially when i was younger trying to be able to think but but that didn't make complete sense. Why is it that they just became Muslim on that one thing alone? Because it wasn't necessarily what was only being said. As I grew older, I think I picked up on, you know, you pick up on body language, you pick on how people interact, and we are observant, alhamdulillah, Allah has made us such. None of us can actually say we've either walked through a shopping mall or observed our family and friends and seen how they interact with each other. They could have a smile on their face and talk to us, yet they are so angry with their kids, right? Or they could be be having the the worst time. However, they're still smiling with those around them. So you're looking at the way in which they, um, they their body language shows shows love or shows attention to detail, and this is whole. So we learn by. Um, by mimicking and um, as well as the way in which we, we look at the different ways in which people do learn and that I do want to touch on inshallah, taking a look at the way Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had catered to the different ways and forms of learning and instruction alhamdulillah That will be interesting, yes, because we, we look at today's time and
0: we we now have a better understanding that each individual adult and child has a different way of learning mm-hmm. and Uh, Many times in the past, that was quite a challenge. Children would be, uh, you know, teachers would have in the past, some of them would have resolved to corporal punishment out of their frustration of not being able to get across the message, the lesson to certain students who had simply different ways of learning and absorbing. So yeah, I'd I'd love to know more about that. Uh, Tell us in terms, you know, from your research, your reading, how was it that nabi used the oral tradition that was very popular and very renowned in the arab world how did he use the oral tradition and the method of memorization these were very rich cultures of learning and how did he use this to then teach the quran and 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 teach his sunnah to the sahaba for me
1: to analyze everything that the Prophet Sallallahu had, had taught the Sahaba, it was in a way of of speech. So the, like I mentioned earlier, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was unlettered. That means he could not read or write, but that did not mean he wasn't a great orator. Now in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, people would get on top of Mount Safa. This was now in Mecca, right? And then that is where they would make their public announcements. So this is, if you're taking a look at the, the very first instance where the Prophet ﷺ was instructed by Allah, to give da'wah and to openly um, invite people to worship on Allah. You have to look at someone who gets up on a stage. I know I still get stage fright um, behind the microphone. My, my Even up till now, my, my tummy's in knots, I have the butterflies flying around. And sometimes because of that type of anxiety that you do experience, you could forget what you need to. So he was very really confident. So you look at the confidence that he exuded, right? As someone who would speak to teach. Every lesson that the Prophet ﷺ had taught was not on like how we have a whiteboard or or a blackboard and we're teaching in that fashion. There were other methods that he had um Utilised as well, and inshallah, I want to touch on a few. I read in a very in a very in-depth um, research paper uh, this week where they they highlighted 15 different methods, teaching methods of the Prophet Now, I might not be able to get through all, but I do want to share some with you, inshallah. If we're looking at this type of speech that he would make, the Sahaba think. During these, the, during his discussions with them, or during the interaction of the lessons that they had with him, right? Um, and mainly, these are all based on learning and analogies. So, the Prophet Wasallam would enhance the uh, imagination and the curiosity of the of, of of his audience of those who listened to him of the Sahaba. Now, remember, they were, you were not always surrounded only by the Sahaba, but those who might be interested, or um, whether they were doing so out of spite, wanting to get back at the Muslims, or in in general, they were just curious. So there was an incident where the Prophet Sallallahu asked the Sahaba عجمين, what would be the situation of someone who has a river at his door and every day five times a day he'd come out take a bath in that river. So here the Prophet Sallallahu is asking a question. Right? He's asking them to think. And then the hadith goes on to say where the Prophet said, and at the end of the day, would he have any dirt on himself? So he's actually directing their focus onto exactly what is his, what is the aim of what he's talking about. And they responded by saying there would be no dirt on him or the of Allah. And then the Prophet had then taught them the lesson by saying, similarly, there will if there are five prayers, uh, five salah, cleansing the person in this way. So by utilising this analogy, taking something where you look at, uh, taking you from a point of understanding to something that you might not have understood, because we learning and we know we grow up, our parents have made five times five times days a daily salah, we hear the adhan. So the concept of salah was something is something very prevalent within our lives. In their day and age, and we're looking at this habit, they had no concept of what five times a day Salah would have been. So for them to understand why they would have to do something, they'd have to go from knowledge of them understanding something, and then to further understand why we have to pray. Because they needed the why, they needed the understanding. and This is why we we hold fast to certain things because we understand our reasoning. And this is where he had um, enhanced the curiosity and imagination, uh, well, curiosity, the imagination and the understanding further, right? He would also use illustrations to make make a point graphically. For example, when he drew a straight line in the sand and and then he drew lines to the right and the left. And this is where he was explaining what the Sirat al-Mustaqim was. Right, and on other occasions, he illustrated his point by using his hand. Where he said, um, for example, the Prophet said something to the effect: where "He said, I and the one who takes care of orphans are in paradise in Jannah like this." And he, as he was speaking, he interlaced his fingers, and in other hadiths, uh, he put his his his, um, his forefinger and his middle finger next to each other. Right. So this is ways in which he had utilized oral as well as visual. We're looking at the way in which, um, you know, it was the living experiences. He would actually observe the Sahaba and when they would do certain things. And he would watch them. He wouldn't automatically just stop them if they were doing something that was incorrect. He first needed to see what was going on or view how they would interact. Uh, This is why there were instances where the Prophet ﷺ would walk through the market and, and, and know his people, know the Ummah at that time, what were they doing, and then give advice. There were moments where the Prophet ﷺ would sit with the Sahaba and they would ask him questions and he would answer them, or he would ask them a question to be able to get the like almost to start off the lesson and they would say, oh, the prophet of the prophet of Allah, uh, the messenger of Allah, and Allah knows best, or oh, Allah and His messenger knows best. I said that incorrectly, but yes, um, then. The prophet would explain so these are many ways that he would do certain things and also the one thing that i think as teachers we tend to do a lot as well is we repeat ourselves maybe not sufficiently because the prophet if something was extremely important he would repeat it three times and that is something that I, I think I used to love uh, emphasizing within my classroom, like following the sunnah for this season, because I try to find ways in which I would be utilizing the sunnah even in those moments where you're repeating. Uh, it could be a concept with regards to maths, for instance, or a concept with regards to English or whichever subject it is. But when you say something repetitively, you're solidifying it for them. And i think this is something so beautiful when we look at the teachings of the prophet sallallahu that there are so many different ways in which he had taught the storytelling where he would reflect upon the different nations that had come before us the bani israel uh you know you you, you look at that story being so uh profound within the quran where it's mentioned so many times the story of the anbiya ﷺ and the lessons that we can draw from there and Remembering that the Prophet was transferring the information and the understanding of the Quran to the Sahaba. So, this was these intensive studies, subhanAllah, although done on a level which was anyone was capable to understand. And that is something so beautiful when we understand that Allah says in the Qur'an that the Qur'an will be made easy to memorize, right? So that form of memorization also comes from a, a gift and it's a miracle of the Qur'an that it is easy to memorize, subhanAllah. But that was how people had learned. And we look at um, the, the Prophet wasallam not having been able to have read it from from a whether it was a tablet, whether it was um, you know, a, a, a piece of leather, with the Ayat of Qur'an were written down by his scribes he had memorized everything and this is why if we're looking at it the prophet sallallahu was the greatest role model with regards to um becoming a hafiz the memorization because this is what he had done you know this is the 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 type of um this way its its roots have been traced back to the prophet sallallahu that the wisdom was that we have to we have to keep it in our mind so that we can reflect and it is something so beautiful to understand that the oral tradition of learning is something that we have to go back onto because when you speak it and say for example i'm saying this to you it's solidifying what i know alhamdulillah and by doing that too it's not just about reading it in a book it is um you know that implementation comes further and uh, inshallah may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us There's so so many other different ways but i think i covered the basics with regards to to memorization inshallah
0: Wow, subhanAllah. That, that is just incredible. So many gems to, to sit back with. And I encourage you listeners, when, when you're listening to this, go back to the podcast, because there's so much, whether you're a homeschooler, unschooler, a parent, an aunt, a teacher, just, just to listen to this and say, okay, where do I start implementing this with my children or my students? Amazing, amazing. We talked about memorization here Masouda. let's let's go more into that please. um what role did memorization play um you know we're talking specifically now about the Quran and how it was preserved um during the time of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi.' take us through a bit more on that please mm.
1: Bismillah. so in the heart of our uh our our Islamic history right and who we are. We, we can understand our core focus and everything that we would love by would be the Quran. And we don't just read it, we, we have to love it, right? And by deeply memorizing and internalizing it, alhamdulillah, we see this manifestation within our lives, alhamdulillah. And like I mentioned, it, it's roots are traced back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and when he would receive wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would try to memorize it instantly or he would memorize instantly and try to really absorb everything and then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran in surah 75 ayat number 16 and 17 and this was the instruction to to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa uh, where Allah says do not rush your tongue trying to memorize a revelation of the Quran it is certainly upon us to make you memorize and recite. Now this divine assurance highlights that the Prophet ﷺ's memorization was miraculous. This was a miracle to the Prophet ﷺ, and this was divinely facilitated by Allah Taala. and through him, um, this is how we've received the Qur'an. So considering that ours is, is a gift from Allah that it is easy to memorize, we have to now look at preserving the Qur'an for ourselves because then we are truly following in the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ. So initially, we have to understand that the Qur'an was not written down. It was memorized and orally transmitted. So whatever the Prophet ﷺ would receive as wahi, he would then share it with the Sahaba. He would gather them, or they would gather around him, and they would know that he had received wahi because either he would tell them or they would see the signs of wahi on him. And upon receiving the wahi, he would then recite it to them, and they would memorize it and then teach others so this this has become a way in which um the 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 pivotal role that the prophet sallallahu played within us memorizing the quran but also the way in which he taught that means he would recite they would recite after him and sometimes remember even though arabic was their mother tongue if they faltered they had the opportunity with the prophet sallallahu who was divinely inspired and and obviously this his memorization was perfect it was excellent uh there was no there was no fault with it at all so then they would correct their recitation with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam before then they would uh, go and share it with others. So they would go home to their families and share it with their families. And that is how initially the Quran was was was, was taught, only through oral um, transmission. And it was it, it's believed that whenever a, a verse of the Quran was revealed, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would call upon the scribes and they would dictate it to them. So there were instances where um, they, it wasn't only just memorized. There was those instances where the Prophet وسلم, would call upon, uh, for example, Hazrat Zayd bin Thabit وعلا, and many other scribes as well, who would sit and wait to be able to to, to write it down. And we understand that. Um, the, the companions of the Prophet the Sahaba, وجمعين, were eager to learn and memorize they were receiving such goodness such wisdom such um, uh, I'm gonna say greatness from the Prophet وسلم, that I, I think we might not fully understand or grasp how exciting it must have been every time an, an ayah was revealed subhanallah or a, a, a part of an ayah was revealed or part of a surah was revealed it, it became that they were enthused to be in that company of the Prophet ﷺ, when he was sharing that information or sharing that ayah that they would want to share what they have learned to others. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to be able to bring it to our um, understanding or rather bring it to an example that we can fully understand. You know when we're looking at um, a book that we've been waiting to, to read and we know that it's coming out in a couple of weeks or months whatever the case may be and we will pre-order this book we will be ready we'll be waiting we'll ensure that we have funds available for to purchase this book and the same would go for any, you know, any program that we want to attend, whether it be a differential for that matter. We get so excited uh, to just attend and be in in their presence. And Subhanallah. We have to. We cannot compare any book or any uh, person to the Prophet But imagine that excitement that you would feel to attend your favorite shuyukh's lecture. The, the, this was the excitement of the Sahaba to be able to then be in his presence, be in the Prophet ﷺ's noble presence when he would talk about and he would share with them the, the wahi that the the, the, the ayat that has been revealed. Now, amongst the Sahaba, notable uh, from amongst those who uh, played the very very pivotal pivotal role with regards to transmitting the 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 Quran or try, or, or memorizing the Quran um and being a Hafidh would be Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Hazrat Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, Hazrat Uthman bin Affan, Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib, Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud, as well as Hazrat Aisha radiallahu anhu, and we, we, I can understand that um, having been so close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi yes, they were those who had been first memorized, alhamdulillah, but then to have perfected it, right? So that means they have to constantly be reading it. And their dedication was profound. They understood the responsibility of preserving the Qur'an. Quran. There's a hadith in um, Sahih Bukhari that narrates that the Prophet ﷺ said that the best amongst you are those who learn the Quran and teach it to others. And so this had become a common practice amongst the Muslims at the time with the Quran being taught and shared widely among families and communities and generation to generation to uphold this sunnah, to uphold this hadith, because we want to be able to be amongst the best uh, amongst the Muslimin, right? Um, t- to teach. So we've learned something from the Quran, so we teach it to others. And this could be a action that I think to a certain extent we have to even teach our children that we they as small as they are, whether they're three, four, five, if they've learned something, let them teach it. Let them tell us what they've learned. And um, that is a way in which we can then preserve the uh the, the, the sunnah and preserve the oral transmission of of, of knowledge subhanallah and uh, you know we, we look at the way in which we have to bring back that Sunnah with regards to the masajid being the hub of, of, of Islamic learning of Quranic learning and memorization this way we know Majlun Nabawi was this what it was that central hub uh, where they would gather and memorize the Quran in circles um, and uh, you know the halaqas that they would have and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi would listen to their recitation and if they made mistakes he corrected them and he provided guidance emphasizing the importance of accurate and mindful recitation so you know we, we look at all of these ways and ultimately we have to look at how he had done so for every individual. Yes, Arabic was their mother tongue, so we have a little extra step that we have to take before we get there to perfect our memorization as well as our understanding. May Allah make it easy for every single one of us, inshallah, to memorize the entire Quran, inshallah. Ameen.
0: Ameen, Ya Rabbi, Ameen. We find ourselves not close to the end of the first month. It's not a full month of learning with the schools and madrasas opening maybe in the second or third week of January in some places, people settling into their new schools or new grades or classes, both for students and teachers. If there were one bit of advice you could give to parents about how they can engage with their children when it comes to the Islamic studies, I would love to know because we often have Enough and plenty, not enough, but I would say plenty, sufficient uh, advice in terms of how to support our children through their, uh, you know, developing their handwriting skills or, uh, you know, easy shortcuts and effective ways to learn their multiplication tables or the bod, bod mass or fraction and all of that. But if you were to speak to the mothers of primary school going madrasa children, as an educator but also as a mum yourself, what would you want to say from your heart to these mums? How can they
1: best support their children's madrasa learning this year? Firstly, make them love it. And the only way in which you can make your child love it is if you love it as well. And adding on to this, it's about um, loving it, right? So when we look at teaching our children to, for example, like they're very young and we teach them how to uh, eat with the right hand, to say bismillah, it's because we're doing it, right? They mimic everything that we do. So if they see we get frustrated to be able to sit down with our Quran, whether it is teaching them Nurani Qaeda, for instance, or... We get really frustrated when it comes the time of of having to do work or we hear the negative talk or they hear the negative talk that we have with regards to the madrasa teachers. Then ultimately, we are then emphasizing within their minds that there's something wrong with this. So what we have to change in our approach to it is look at what you would want for your child. And a lot of the time, I think we do this with regards to toys and things that we didn't get when we were younger, so we buy it for them. So if you didn't get an opportunity to be able to, for example, um, love the Quran in a, in a particular way because we had really strict teachers, how would you love to have been taught? How would you ensure that? So every person is different. I would love to have had um, you know, more fun activities and when I was younger with regards to teaching the letters, and that's what I try to incorporate with, with my daughter when she was very small, just learning. it was the fun activities. It was playing with the clay and in the paint and etc. Cetera, et cetera, Just to be able to make it a fun experience, like the same way how you'd make learning the English alphabet fun, you have to be able to do the same thing with, with the Arabic alphabet, get them familiar with it. And like I said, it is all about you embodying embodying the person that you want them to be. And that would be someone who sits with their Quran, somebody who, who knows the seerah. If they hear stories about you talking about uh, the latest movies and the latest things that, that are in that's happening in the world, that is what they're going to eventually be be repeating. But if you're talking about the Sahaba radiallahu about the character of the Prophet, وسلم, and these are the stories that they are hearing, these are the lessons that they are learning, they are going to then share those stories. That's going to be their um, reference guide, right? So we have to be that person. It's not impossible for us to make these changes may Allah make it easy for every single parent out there, it is the greatest jihad at this point in time to raise Allah fearing children and for them to to remain steadfast so constantly make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this a journey and Allah opens up their way as well as your way so there be no um, hurdles or or, or or rather shall I say things that are going to cause us a bit of distress with regards to their uh, the they're loving islam and i, I, I don't want to only be mean like learning it but loving it inshallah may allah make it easy for all of us inshallah i mean i
0: i love that word you began answering the saras with love and 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 that that is really it right that's the center the essence the be all of it it's love and you know as you mentioned oh, yes. it's important for us to look at what what was it um, sometimes to look into our own childhood and say, okay, there may have been ways that I was taught, and that I would have wished I was taught in a different way. And unless we identify those patterns, and we forgive and we let go of that, we end up carrying those patterns onto our children. And so if Madrasa was a bitter, stressed, um, uh, you know, anxious experience, then Mm -hmm. that can be the same thing for our children because we just passed that on and Perfect. so you know we become these debbie downers oh you're going to see your upper's going to be very strict with you this year because if that's what we had we're going to expect our children to have the same thing and We and it only comes from place of protection but if we can say look i give space and i allow for my child to have his or her own experience their own unique experience in their madrasa journey and uh yeah i think that that is really really important i love how you mentioned love because that, that is where it all goes back down to, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We are at the end of today's segment. So listeners, to recap, on today's program, Alima took us through the embodiment uh, through Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi of how he embodied the teachings of Islam through his own actions and ways. And then she took us through the, the the amazing, remarkable aspect within Islam where we have this oral tradition and this memorization routines and patterns um, that are so sacred to Islam and so remarkable because it's the only religion today and now until the day of Qiyamah that uses memorization to preserve and to transmit the teachings. And then we looked at how that role of memorization played into Looking after the Quran and preserving it. Lots more to discuss in our second part of the series with Ma'alima next week, inshallah. We will be talking more and looking at examples of how the Nabi used stories to convey messages, to teach lessons, um, and to bring across points to his companions. We'll also look at the aspect of encouragement and whether Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam encouraged his companions to ask questions and how did he honor the questioner? How did he respond to their questions? We we'll also learn more about, and this is an interesting one, I, I can't wait to hear about this. How have the teaching methods of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi influenced Islamic education throughout? history. Join us for the next fascinating interview with Malima next week. Maalima, we want to thank you for your time with us on this week's program. But before we go, do let us know if um, if parents or teachers listening in on the program would like to be in touch with you for your coaching services. We also understand that you uh, have you offer public speaking services. How can our listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to make contact with you?
1: oh they can email me at dot at gmail.com or they could catch me on instagram inshallah i do check my dms so that's m japi m-j-a-p-p-i-e and inshallah um yeah i will definitely respond may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of us inshallah because uh, we i'd love to be able to help as many people as as i can as i can inshallah i inshallah i um it- Give us the email address again. Please, Malima, the spelling. uh, Spell it out for us. M-A-S-O-O-D-A-J-A-P-P-I-E at gmail.com. Okay awesome. So listeners, the email address is
0: masoodajappie at gmail.com. The reason I ask for the email is we have many listeners who actually may not be on social media, but do want to reach out to our audience. So um, uh, we we do like sharing the, the Gmail address as well. So yeah, we will be speaking to you again in part two of the series. Looking forward to that, inshallah. And may Allah place plenty of barakah in your
1: time and in everything you do. Amin. Amin. Allahumma amin. khairan once again. Assalamu alaykum. Wa well, wa
0: On today's program part 1 in a two part series with Maulana Saudajafi, we're talking about Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa and his teaching methods. Do join us next week for part two of the series, when we learn more about how Nabi Sallallahu taught Sahaba through storytelling, through parables, how he encouraged the Sahaba to ask questions, and how he responded to those inquiries. We also learn more about the teaching methods of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in terms of how they influenced Islamic education, throughout history. Join us for that in next week's edition of the program part two. And we'll also be finding out from Walima more about her coaching services, which audience she works with and how you can get in touch with her inshallah. So we will join you next week for that. And inshallah, next up is our last segment of the hour. And that will take us to our culture segment, culture and dressing. And today we are focusing inshallah on the niqab, so many sisters messaged to say that they would like to try wearing the niqab. So we're going to be sharing some more tips with you on that, on how to get started, if that's what you're ready to do, inshallah. And that comes up after the break. Stay with us. And that was Muallima Mas'uda Jafi in part one of our series on the teaching methods of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa In conclusion for our program today, Alhamdulillah. We've had many requests from listeners who've said they've decided to take this journey, we're getting closer to Ramadan, and people that have come back from the Umrah and wanting to start wearing the niqab. So we're going to share with you some tips on that. And one of them that we could share with you in terms of these tips is beginning with purifying the intention. We know the hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Muslim that actions are according to intentions and everyone will get in reward for what was intended. So, why do you want to wear the naqab? Have you done research about it? Have you understood? Um, you know, there is the opinion that it's obligatory, then there is the other that it's encouraged and a voluntary good deed. Are you being pressured into it by someone? Um, if you are living in a geographical, or cultural context where niqab is the norm or is expected to be worn, are you doing it solely because you feel like you have to? Or are you solidifying your intention to make it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's what I'm sharing with you is from a beautiful, comprehensive article, very insightful, um, on the muslimmatters.org website. Another reason that the author who does wear niqab, Sister Zainab bint Yunus writes, is other than purifying the intention, is to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for strength and conviction. So she writes, you've done your istikhara, your intention is pure, and you're sure that you want to wear niqab for the sake of Allah that's great now the next step is to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the strength and the conviction to maintain wearing the niqab. None know that none of us are truly able to do things on our own it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives us the ability to do things to do so so of course sometimes you will be in a situation or a circumstance where it's not possible to wear the niqab full-time and that's okay so There may be situations politically, health-wise, etc. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. You're doing the best you can, and this is for the sake of Allah. A wonderful dua that encapsulates how we can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for strength in worshipping him is the dua that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught to Mu'adh bin Jabal. Mu'adh bin Jabal Anhu reported that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, a Radu bin Jabal reported, the Messenger of Allah took hold of my hand and said, O Mu'adh, by Allah I love you, so I advise you to never forget to recite after every prayer. Allahumma oh dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. O Allah, help me remember you, to be grateful to you and to worship you in an excellent manner. Abu Dawood. Again, the du'a, اللهم أعني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك Oh Allah, help me remember you to be grateful to you and to worship you in an excellent manner. So, this is a very important du'a for us to recite and it's a way in which we can um, we can set firm our intention. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. Ameen ya Rabb. I do encourage you if this is where you are in your journey and you are considering you are getting started wearing the niqab or you are recommitting to it, this is a very insightful article. It's on muslimmatters.org and if you are to type in the search bar niqab, you will find this article on how tips on how to get started. So I've just shared some from the article but you can go ahead to read more about it that talks about the niya, the intention that must be purified. Making du'a to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, these are all very important, and you know, purifying the intention is at the forefront, the top of it. And the reason why? Why do you want to wear it? We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make everything easy for us, for our deen is easy and beautiful, perfect and complete. And may we live with the honor of Islam and die with the honor of Islam. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. And do join us next week for part two in the series on learning about the teaching methods of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. If there are guests you'd like us to interview on the program or topics you'd like us to cover, Do let us know. Drop us an email to hana at radioislamlive.com. Until we meet again next week, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and jazakum Allah khairan for joining us.